Good, good morning, church. I think I do have the slides. So, just for the kids, I have a tendency of forgetting. <laughs> so, the word that the kids are going to be listening to is grace. So, grace, grace, grace. Just in case I forget, because I might just continue and then forget our, our, our kids here. It's a joy to be with you all here this morning. We, we always think of you guys, we miss you guys a lot. And it's always powerful to come and join in worship with you. And to praise our God and to focus our hearts on Him. Particularly even this time, even as we focus through song and even through the scripture memory just thinking about this time where we're looking at Christmas that is not just Christmas for many of us you know we grew up and Christmas was about new clothes but we had missed it big time and I believe there are many people who still have missed it and you know think of Christmas as a time to just you know just chill and be you know having parties and all of that but it's actually about the God who became man and dwelled among us. And we are blessed for all of us who are here today who have been saved because he came for us and we praise him for that. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy. I will be reading from chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. We will be reading from verse 3. Through to Timothy chapter number 2, verse 7. It's a very long passage, but it's necessary for us to read it together, long as it is, just so that we be able to, to get what is going on in this book. So let us read it together. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day 
what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and, and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Now to our passage. Verse 1, chapter number 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We want to listen to you, and so we ask, oh God, may you allow our hearts to take this word and to think through it. We pray, oh God, that you would exalt yourself, even as I speak through this passage. Lord, we pray that you would help us, oh God, Father, just to, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and Lord, Father, just to, to leave this place, oh God, ready just to, to live for you. Help me, O oh Lord, Father, just to speak with clarity and conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, I would like to thank all of you. And I want to thank God for all of you. I thank God that you are saved. And it's really indeed a blessing for you to have been saved. It is always exciting for us to come together to worship God. To pay attention to him. For he indeed alone deserves to be listened to. He alone deserves our attention. And it's a blessing for us to do this Sunday in and Sunday out. God is at work in all of us. And for you who is a believer sitting here today, just know God is at work in your life. And he will keep you until the end. And that is the good news. And that is what I want us to focus on today my goal here is nothing else but to encourage you i want to encourage you to continue to run i want to encourage you to continue to live for god to continue to exalt the gospel and to stand firm in the gospel no matter what may come your way no matter how difficult the journey may get or how ungodly this world may become. I want to encourage you that you leave this place excited to live for God and resolved to live for Him. 
And I want you to remember that God is for you in all things. And you can trust in him. We find ourselves in the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy who was his child in the faith. This letter is very sobering. It's one of those letters that when you read, you cannot read it without being moved. There's some serious emotions attached into this. You can see the tears that Paul wrote it with. You can actually just sense even the tears probably that Timothy even read it with when you read the words that Paul has written there. Unlike the, uh, all the other pastoral letters that Paul wrote, this letter that he writes to Timothy is a personal letter. He, write, he writes it and directing it to the reader who is Timothy. Paul writes this letter, he's sitting in prison. And he's at, his, at the end of his life. He finds himself in prison and he's about to die. And you can imagine getting a letter from a man who is just about to die. And that is what Timothy receives from Paul. We know that Paul was once arrested. When you read in Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, chapter number 28, verse 16, Paul was arrested. He was in, in Rome. He was under house arrest. The arrest that he finds himself in right now, in 2 Timothy, is a totally different arrest than the one that you read in the book of Acts. During the first imprisonment, Paul was allowed to have visitors. He was under house arrest with a soldier that was guarding him. People would come in and out and visit him. It is during that first imprisonment that Paul wrote the letters like Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon. During that first imprisonment, Paul was very confident that I'm going to come out. I'm going to go out of prison. But I mean, you read through Philippians chapter number 2, verse 24. He says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you. He writes to Philemon. He says, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. He was confident that he's going to come out. But when we get to this letter of 2 Timothy, the circumstances have changed. Paul is rearrested, and now there was very, very, very bad hostility against Christians across the whole Roman Empire. The hostility and persecutions of Christians were started by the emperor of, the, of Rome, Nero. And this was because in July of AD 64, there was a large fire, big fire, that consumed a large part of the Roman city. News went around that actually the fire was started by people that were instructed by the emperor. And when the news circulated that this was done at the word of the emperor, Nero tried to actually kill the rumor that was going on. He tried but failed. It stuck with him. And as a last resort, Nero blamed the fire on Christians. And why? Because anyway, most people did not like Christians. They were just people who were living their own life. They acted like they were different from everyone. And he said, these are the guys that actually just started this fire. And guess what? The news circulated across the whole empire. And Christians faced persecutions on every side. Many Christians died. They died for their faith during this time. And it was during this sad period that Paul was rearrested. It is not clear where exactly he was when he was arrested, 
But when you read there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 13, it's possible that he was in Troyes. Because he's asking for stuff to be brought. It looks like he left some stuff and he left in haste when he was in Troyes. Paul is in prison and is now only with Luke. By the time Paul writes this letter, he had gone through a preliminary trial. And things seem to have not gone his way when you read in chapter number 4, verse 16. Why? Because he says, no one came to stand by him at his last defense. But all people deserted him. Everyone turned away from him. He was just only just left there with Luke. No one could testify on behalf of Paul. And maybe because they also feared to be persecuted. This guy was in jail for the gospel. I mean, who would want to associate with a guy like that? Many people just turned away from him. And they left him. No one could stand and say, I'm going to testify on behalf of this guy. And be on his side. And he writes there, he tells Timothy, When I stood in my preliminary trial, all deserted me. I was alone. No one came at my defense. And unlike his first imprisonment, now Paul really did not have confidence that he would be released. Now he was just waiting for his death. So when we read now this letter, you realize that it's a letter that is concerned about suffering and how a Timothy needs to endure suffering, of how Christian needs to think about suffering. And not only so, but there's ungodliness that is in the rise. And so Paul writes and says, again also, the letter is concerned about the gospel message, the importance of the, of the proclamation of this gospel and the advance and the continuation of this gospel amidst hostility and the, unri- and the rising ungodliness. It is with this background that we find, we find the, the words of Paul to his beloved Timothy. What we find in this letter comes with this background, and I, I thought it's necessary for us to look into that just so you understand why Paul wants Timothy to hear what he has to say. It's the last letter that comes from a dying man. To our passage, which is chapter number 2, verse 1 through 7, and I have titled the message for today, Endurance by Grace. We're going to look at three points. If we're going to endure until the end, I don't know what your desire is today if you are a believer. You might have been in the faith for a very long time, or you just became a Christian recently. But what do you desire the most? I hope your desire is to get to the end. I hope your desire is to say, I want to leave this Christian. I don't want to leave it. I don't want to turn. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to hold on to my faith until the end. I want to be like the Apostle Paul when I get to the end of my life where I say I'm ready. I'm already being poured out of as a drink offering, Paul says. And the time of my departure, he says, has come. But guess what he says? He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. I hope that is your desire today. I hope that will be your resolve and your desire for all your life that you live here on earth as a believer. But what will it take for you to hold on to your faith until the end? 
What will, what will it take for you to say no to the many things that might come so that you run this race until you get to that finish line? You may have just started running. You may have been in the race for some time. And I want us to consider today, what would it take us to get to the end? And I hope that is your desire today. Number one, we need to rely on God. Number two, we will look at how you need to continue in service. Number three, that you will need to endure hardships. Those are the three points that we're going to look at as we think about endurance by grace. The first point, rely on God. If you're going to get to the end, rely on God. Verse 1 of chapter number 2 there says, You then, or you therefore, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The you in this verse is forceful or emphatic. Paul calls Timothy's attention. says, Timothy, listen. He's being direct to Timothy and he wants his attention. And Timothy must just do nothing else but listen. Even as he calls Timothy, he says, my child. He balances that, this forceful call with the dear words of a father who calls his son. He says, son, I want you to listen. Paul loved Timothy. I mean, when he introduces the letter, there, up there, in chapter number 1, verse 2, he actually says to Timothy, my beloved child. This comes from a father who is concerned, a father who cares, a father who loves his son. And he says, I want you to listen. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The appeal is for Timothy to be strengthened by the grace. But why is Paul saying this to Timothy? You may ask. And to understand this, we have to look at, the, at, at where the verse starts. It says, you then, or you therefore, in some translations. The therefore sums up all that Paul has been saying in the previous verses. Starting from chapter number 1, actually verse 6 through verse 18, where he makes the first appeal. What did Paul say? We might need to turn, and that's why I thought it's very important to read from chapter number 1 before we get to the passage that we're looking at. When you look at chapter number 1, verse 6 to verse 7, what is it that Paul has already asked Timothy to do? Paul appealed to Timothy in, chapter number, in, in verse number 6 and 7 of chapter number 1. He says, Fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. And the gift that Paul wanted Timothy to fan into flames here is Timothy's gift of preaching. It is not like Timothy had stopped or was waning in his preaching. No. Paul wanted Timothy to continue and to stir up the fire in his ministry of the word, particularly in the midst of persecution. You are a preacher, Timothy. You have the gift of preaching. You are called to preach. It's hard out there. But now is the time to stand for the gospel. Now is the time to take the gift that you have, fell into flames, stir it up, even more so amidst this persecution that we're facing. Verse 8, Paul appealed to Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ, nor about Paul. He called Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel. Verse 13, Paul appealed to Timothy 
to follow the patterns of sound words that he had heard from Paul, which is the gospel. And then in, there in verse 14, Paul called Timothy and says, guard the deposit that is entrusted to you. What has been entrusted to Timothy? The message of the gospel. Guard it with everything. Guard it, Timothy. And then after making all these appeals, when you get to verse 15, Paul tells Timothy about those from Asia excuse me, who have turned away from him. He names two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. He says, these Asians did not want to be associated with me. They turned away from me. They were ashamed of my chains. They were ashamed of me as a prisoner, Timothy. And maybe because they didn't want to be associated with this guy, they turned away from Paul. And if they have turned away from Paul in this way, ashamed of him, ashamed of his chain, ashamed of him as a prisoner, it's possible that they were really ashamed even of the gospel because the gospel is the one thing that had gotten Paul into prison. So when we get to 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 1, when Paul says, Therefore, it is against the example of those who are ashamed of Paul. It is against the example of those that are ashamed of the chains that Paul is wearing. It is against the appeals that Paul has made to say, Timothy, I want you to stand in your preaching. Timothy, I want you to stand and take the gospel. Suffer for it. It is against their appeal to say, Timothy, protect the gospel at all costs. And now we get to chapter number two. He says, therefore, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, that means that if Timothy will stand firm, if Timothy will not be like those guys, if Timothy will run the race until the end, if Timothy will be resolved like Paul, even willing to go into prison, even be willing to die for the gospel, Timothy, you need to be strengthened by the grace of God. That is in Christ Jesus. The imperative there is be strengthened, Timothy. It calls him be strengthened. And not just once off, but for all your life, be strengthened by the grace from beginning to end. We are saved by grace. We are sustained by grace. We're going to get to the end by grace. Timothy, all grace that is in Christ is for you. Depend on it. Look to God. Don't trust in yourself. And you can see there that the verb there, it's don't strengthen yourself. Be strengthened. It's done unto Timothy. He doesn't do it himself. It's God who enables him. And Paul is saying, there is an enablement in God, Timothy. If you're going to stand, if you're going to be firm, if you're going to continue until the end, look to God. Don't do it by yourself. Don't trust in anything else but look to the grace that is in God. When we think of the other words that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter number 6 verse 10 where he talks about the armor of God. 
Paul writes to the Ephesians says, Be strong. To say be strong is actually the same way that is actually explaining the same word used there for being strengthened. To say be strong, be empowered. Be empowered by God. In Ephesians it said, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. And in Ephesians he was talking about spiritual warfare. He says, put on the armor of God. And that is what exactly we are in. Believers are in a warfare. We are engaged in spiritual war. And we must be on guard all the time. If Timothy will do anything of what Paul has appealed to him, if Timothy is going to do anything, that is not like the other guys who are ashamed of the gospel, he has to depend on the grace of God and not his strength. He must not be like the Asians. He must not be like those who have turned away from Paul and left him there to stand even trial by himself. He must be resolved and stand by the grace of God. Grace is a favor. What we have from God, He gives to us because we are His children. We know even as we come to salvation, we did not earn our salvation. It's out of His kindness. The grace that He has poured upon our life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that. And that was not the end when we entered. It is there for us to keep us until the end. When we read in the letter, the book of Hebrews, we need to run to that throne all the time. It's the throne of grace where we find what? That help. In time of need, we look to God. We go to God. He's there with us throughout. He did not pull us into himself so that he can leave us to struggle by ourselves. He keeps us until the end. Paul says, Timothy, you have every resource in God. Look to him. That is for you. That is for me. That is for us. Paul himself was talking about something that he had experienced. When everyone had departed, had deserted him, they had left him alone there. Look at chapter number 4, verse 17. What does he say? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through, the, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might, might hear it. It was not something that was just theoretical for Paul. He knew how God strengthened him. He knew how God kept him. Even though there was no one who stood next to him, he knew the presence of God and he saw how God stood by him. So he was never alone. Through it all, he was never alone. He was in a dungeon right now in chains. Paul was never alone. God was there with him. And that's why he writes this letter, not as a man who is broken, but a man who is standing firm in his faith. He says, I fought a fight. It's like that dying soldier was dying, but he's happy that he's like dying in battle to say, yes, I get to die because I'm doing this. And he's excited about it. And you can see it's God. Only God can do this in, in a man's life. And that is what he calls Timothy to. He says, my son, this is where I am. I'm in prison. It's, it's, 
you're going to maybe probably face this. But I want you to know this. Look to God. Be strengthened by the grace that is in God. It is for us through Christ Jesus. For us who are believers. If you're not a believer, not for you. If you're a believer, yes, it's for you. Depend on it. Don't rely on yourself. Depend on God. Your life as a believer is grace, 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 grace. Just want to make sure that the kids get working here. From beginning to end is grace. Trust in God. You came in by grace. It sustains you by grace. Grace will get you to the finish line. So rely on him. Only he will be able to keep you. Second point. If we're going to continue to the finish line, we need to continue in service. We need to serve. We cannot be idle. We need to continue serving. Paul writes to Timothy in verse number 2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Paul instructs Timothy to continue developing leaders by passing to them what he heard from Paul. Why, why did Paul give this instruction to Timothy, you may ask? I think it's a good question to actually ask. By taking this gospel, taking the message, taking the words that Timothy has heard from Paul, Timothy would ensure to guard the purity and the integrity of, the, of God's word. Paul was at the end of his life. Paul was at the end of his life. And as he comes to the end, he says to Timothy, I want you to continue to raise men who will take this message and not just take it for themselves, but pass it to other men who will be able to pass it to other men and who will be able to pass it to other men. So I think that is the, you know, one of the first reasons why, there's actually two reasons here that I think that Paul actually puts this down. He wants the message to continue. The message must be kept alive. When you read in chapter number 3, Paul talks about ungodliness in the last days. He talks about men that go out, who pervert, you know, the word of God, who do shameful things, who take advantage of people. He wants the word to be protected. And he says, Timothy, I want you to take what you have heard from me. I want you to entrust it to faithful men, not for themselves, but so that we keep this message going. It, it doesn't mean that Timothy was to neglect everyone else. It doesn't mean that all other women and children are not supposed to be taught. He just wanted Timothy to have even a specific focus where he trains men that will be able to propagate this gospel without neglecting the rest. The men must be of character. They must be faithful. They must be trustworthy who are able to teach others. As Timothy fans into flame the gift that was in him by the, strengthening that was in, of, by the strengthening of the grace of God, he was to continue to impart truth to faithful men. In chapter number 2, in chapter number 4, verse 2, Paul charged Timothy to say, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. 
preach the word. Opposition will be there. Persecutions will be there. Godlessness will be there. But in the strength of the grace of God, Timothy is to continue his ministry and pass on the message to faithful men. It says there, in the presence of many witnesses, because Timothy had been a traveling companion of Paul, I mean, when you read through the book of Acts, you see Timothy appearing through the journeys that Tim Paul was taking. Timothy is right there. Chapter number 16 of Acts, verse 1. Chapter number 20, verse 5 of Acts. Timothy is there with Paul throughout this. So definitely, Timothy had Paul teach and preach in many different settings. Uh, even in chapter number 3, verse 10 of this letter, Paul confirms himself to say, Timothy, you knew my teaching. You know exactly what I have been teaching. So I think the significance of the mention of the witnesses here is to show that the message that Paul preached can be confirmed by others as the genuine message of God. And that message is what Timothy is to take, what he had heard from Paul, and pass it, and pass it on to other men. I think also the second reason, when you look at the context of the letter, Paul instructs Timothy to do this because Paul wants Timothy to come. Wherever Timothy was, probably Ephesus, he wants Timothy to leave. To say, leave whatever that you are doing there. I want you to come to me in Rome. When you read chapter number 1, verse 4, he says, as I remember your tears. When they parted, Timothy cried. There was tears between Paul and Timothy. He says, I long to see you. In chapter number 4, verse 9, Paul asked Timothy, he says, do your best. Do your best to come to me. Do your best to come to me before winter, when he gets to verse 21. So, it seems also here that before Timothy could even travel, he had to also ensure that the house is in order. There are men who can take this message. There are men who can be able to stand even in, in Timothy's absence. Just like there should be men, Timothy, when I have died. And that is Paul, who is about to die in prison. We do not know if Timothy made it to Paul before Paul was killed. Whether he made it to Rome or not, as the leader and the representative of the apostle, Timothy had the responsibility to pass on the divine truth. He was to continue to labor in his ministry. And yes, Timothy was a leader. And this instruction, you may say, hey, applies mainly to those who have the responsibility to teach. That those who have to teach must teach others. However, what Paul instructs Timothy here is how the truth is passed down to all of us. And this then applies to all of us as believers. How did the gospel get to us? It was coming from one man to the next man. So it does not only apply to those that you say, hey, these are the people that are teachers. For you as a believer, you have the responsibility to pass on that message. It does not matter what spiritual gift you might have. Timothy was called to be a leader and a preacher of the word. I don't know what your spiritual gift is. I don't know what 
gifts God has given you when you came into the faith. But whatever gift that you have, you are to use it to impact the people of God, the advance of the gospel, and to continue to use it no matter what. If you are a parent, you pass on the, the truth to your children. If you are discipling someone, you have the responsibility to pass on the truth. If you care for little children, and you might be like in some ministry in some way, you have the responsibility to teach it. And as all of us as believers just have the responsibility to take the word of God and pass it forward and teach and teach and teach. We are gifted in different ways. And whatever gift that God has given us, you might not be like a Timothy who is a preacher, but what gift has God given you that you would use to serve him and serve his church and to pass on the message that you have of the gospel. Because everything we do is for nothing else but our Lord and for the gospel. What opportunities do you have? How can you continue to serve God in this church? In the church worldwide? In your GC? Use your gifts. Timothy was to continue not being idle because it's bad outside and try and hide. Paul charges him, he says, continue to teach. Do this. And that is for all of us. If we're going to continue until the end, and we're going to run a faithful race, we cannot be idle. In the midst of rising ungodliness, in the midst of rising persecution, we cannot be idle. Serve. Serve that, those that God has placed close to you. In your church, in your gospel community, the people that you live with, that are believers, serve with them. Relying on God. Whatever that we do, do it relying on God. Because even as we are serving, sometimes it will be difficult. There are times when you might be doing stuff, expecting, you know, that this brother or this sister is going to come and help you here and it does not come it becomes a lot of work for you alone you might feel discouraged look to the Lord trust in God depend on his grace it's the Lord you are serving look to him he keeps you even through small things like that let that passion not die press on in your service in season and out of season through the grace of God. The third point. If we're going to continue until the end, we have to endure hardships. Chapter number 2, verse 3 to 6. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul here invites Timothy to suffer hardships with him. Only as a good soldier of Christ. Already in chapter number 1, verse 8, Paul appealed to Timothy to suffer for the gospel by the power of God. 
In verse 11 of chapter number 1, Paul made it clear to Timothy to say, Hey, Timothy, I am suffering. And the reason I'm suffering is because of the gospel. And I also mentioned in giving the introduction of this letter that the whole book, the theme that runs through it is suffering, suffering, and suffering. And how we need to endure, how Timothy needs to endure, how Paul is enduring it. Paul was calling to Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel. Not because suffering is, in, is an enjoyable experience. When he says, come, suffer for the gospel, it's not because it's fun. But because it, 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 it will come for those who want to live faithful lives. If you're saying, I want to be a believer, I'm going to run this race till the end. I'm going to be faithful to live for Christ. You are guaranteed one thing. Suffering will be there. There will be pain on the way. There will be pain. And that is what Paul wanted Timothy to understand. If I am suffering, Timothy, you better be ready if you will stand for the truth because you too will suffer. You too will suffer. So you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus if you're going to suffer as a good soldier. If Timothy will live for the ministry of the word, hard times are going to be there. But he must look to God. And the one question I want to ask you is, what is the one thing that comes to mind when you think of a soldier? War. War. We are in spiritual warfare. And Paul is calling Timothy saying, join me. I want you to come, be by my side, stand with me, and let's fight and suffer together. It's worth it. Come with me. I don't know what might happen, Timothy, to you, but I want you to be resolved to stand, no matter what, but stand only in the grace of God. Suffer as a good soldier. I'm reminded of Joab and Abishai fighting the Ammonites and the Syrians. You read the story in chapter number 2 of uh, 2 Samuel 2, chapter number 10, verse 12. They are surrounded by the enemies, these commanders of the army of Israel, under the leadership of King David. They are there. Enemies coming from every side. They fight him. One guy is leading one team. The other guy is leading the other team. These are brothers. Biological brothers. The one brother calls to the other. He says, be of courage. Be of courage, my brother. And let us be courageous for our people. And for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. It's to say... The same attitude that Paul has here to Timothy as he calls him. I want you to come suffer as a good soldier. Timothy, let's continue to fight. What will happen to us is not dependent on us, but God. But we just need to be resolved to fight. And as we do that, we're relying on God's grace to keep us. A soldier is the one who accepts that as his Lord. 
war. If you are a soldier, you are there and you are needed for war. Nothing else. We are in spiritual warfare. The second question is, how does it look like to suffer as a good soldier? It's one thing to suffer, but how does it look like to suffer as a good soldier? And that is what Paul says Timothy must do. Suffer as a good soldier. Paul gives three metaphors to help explain the idea of suffering as a good soldier of Christ. In these metaphors, as we look at them, we must not read them to mean something else other than what Paul meant for Timothy to understand from them. He uses three metaphors. The first one is what we find in, chapter, in, in verse number four. The metaphor of a soldier. Again, he expounds on it. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The question that you need to ask yourself when you read something like that is how does this metaphor help us understand how Timothy is to take his share of suffering? So Paul is giving this metaphor to help explain, but how does what we read here help us understand the share of Timothy's suffering? Timothy is to suffer. So let's see, how is this soldier suffering. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We see there that the soldier suffers by not getting involved in civilian pursuits. He is a single-minded soldier. He's wholly sold out to the cause, no matter what the cost is. He does not have an option of choosing to go out when it gets tough. His mind is fixed on the course. His price is to stay the course. He's the soldier who is focused on his task. He's determined to persevere no matter what. He cannot opt out. That is one thing that is suffering for a soldier. A soldier does not have an option of saying, I'm going to go out. You stay the course. He says, a good soldier stays in there. He doesn't have an option of saying it's tough. I'd rather just be out there and just be an ordinary guy. No, you stay the course. A good soldier of Christ stays the course. So Timothy must learn from the attitude of the soldier. Timothy, like all believers, are called by Jesus. We are called by Jesus. It is his course that we must fix our eyes on. And we must persevere through that course. No matter what, we don't take our eyes off. We don't say, it's happening out there. We have to be here on a Sunday when everyone is out there. We have to do this when everyone is doing that. It's hard to study. It's hard to do this when everyone is doing everything that seems to be good out there. We stay the course no matter how difficult it might come. You fail your driver's license a million times. you like... I mean, I can just give 500 rand and it's going to be okay. Like, no, I'm going to stay the course because I want to honor Christ. People cheat and do different things, painful as it is for you because this one thing could open many doors for you. But it's the wrong way of doing it. You're like, I'd rather suffer. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to run till the end. 
regardless of what everyone else is doing. I don't have an option of opting out. We are in this for the long haul. We have to stay the course. We must not live to please men. We must not live out of fear of men that we change and hide and be ashamed of being a Christian. They call you names sometimes. You don't want to be called them Zalwan sometimes because in the midst of the people that you might be, you might be looked down upon. I'm not ashamed. You say, no, I'm not ashamed. Just like Paul saying, no, I'm not ashamed. Don't be like the Asians who were ashamed of Paul's chains, ashamed of him as a prisoner, ashamed of the gospel. Stay the cause. No matter what the cost is, be a good soldier. Die in the battle line. Right there in the front line. Stay the course. Fight and die. Not by your own strength, but by the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. The second metaphor. Athlete. An athlete. Verse number five. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here Paul draws the metaphor from a well-known athletic contest in Grecian games. Again, you need to ask that question. How does an athlete suffer? Even during that time, how were the athletes of Paul's time suffering? Because that is where he gets that idea. An athlete suffers strictly by adhering to the rules. It says that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He suffers by strictly adhering to the rules of the games during his preparation and contest. The athletes of the time had to play by certain strict rules. They, it included about 10 years of strict training for you to compete. You had to pass certain tests for you to be able to compete. And you had to have like as a certain life and you'll be tested for 10 months before you can qualify to compete. And when you get to the games and compete, you had to compete in a certain way, or otherwise you'll be disqualified. We know even today how much it takes for one to be trained to qualify just to go to the Olympics. Even more training and self-control it takes for one to actually finally be crowned an Olympic champion. It takes work. It takes self-control. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.25 talking about athletes. He says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable. Timothy was already engaged in the race. He was there already in the struggle. If you are a believer, you're sitting here today, you are there, right in the struggle. You must take the course. You must exercise self-control. You must discipline your body. And only by following the rules will we receive the reward at the end. The third metaphor, the last metaphor, the farmer. It says there, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share 
of the crops. Again, the question you have to ask, how is the farmer suffering here? The farmer suffers because he is hard-working. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to receive the first share of the crops. He is diligent and does all the necessary work, all the necessary things to plant and to care for his crops. He is dirty. He is right there working the soil. Under the heat of the sun, he is there working the soil. It's raining. He's there tending his crops. It doesn't matter what type of weather is there. It doesn't matter how sometimes he might be feeling. He knows if I'm going to sleep because I'm coughing today. Those plants might just die if I don't take care of them. So he stays in there suffering. But because of his labor, at the end, he enjoys the harvest. At the end, he enjoys the harvest. And I want us to observe two things that are common in all these three metaphors. If you've been following, you'll see that there's something that is common in all of them. One, there is suffering. In all the three, they are the suffering. The suffering comes before the prize. There is suffering, but the suffering comes before the prize. And at the end, there's a prize. There's a reward. The soldier... This is the commander. If there's one thing that makes the soldier happy is to see the smile on the one that commanded him to go out and do the mission that he was commanded to do. If the commander smiles, he says, yes, job done. When the athlete runs the race, he gets to the end, he gets the crown, he says, yes, job done. The farmer plants, he gets his crops, he enjoys that first fruit, he says, yes, it was all worth it. There is going to be suffering, but oh, there is a reward at the end. So it's not that just we just call to suffer. It's not that we just call to suffer. It's not that just Timothy just called to suffer. If you are a believer, your Lord is suffering. That's it. No. There is a reward for those who remain faithful until the end. Verse 8 and 10. We come back to verse 7. Look at the example there that Paul gives. Paul is like Timothy, is, is to be like Timothy. Oh, Timothy is, like, is to be like Paul. Sorry. Like Paul, he is to suffer for the gospel. That is his cost. That is the price that he would pay. This he will do for the sake of the elect. As he goes out and preaches and do all these things, the number of all that God had called, that God is calling through the minister of Timothy, they're going to come in. Paul said, I was suffering, Timothy, only because of the elect. I suffer for the gospel because I want to see all that God has called being saved. You will pay the same price, Timothy. Pay the same price so that they can receive their salvation. Just like Paul, Timothy is to do this, remembering the Lord Jesus. Verse number 8 there, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel. Christ is the motivation. The God-man who came is our motivation. God who became man is our strength. 
He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we want to see being glorified. They can take us and put us into prison, Timothy. Yeah, I am. I'm in prison. But guess what, Timothy? The gospel is not changed. And for many years, people have tried to do that, but the gospel has never been changed. The, the gospel continues to advance. So like Paul, Timothy is called to suffer, but to know that at the end, there is going to be a reward. When Paul comes at the end of his life, as you see there in chapter number 4, and I'm going to read it, he says, verse 8, Henceforth, he says, verse 7, let me start from, from, from verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is a reward. There is the crown for the faithful. And so, Timothy, it's worth doing it. It's worth your blood. It's worth your sweat. There is suffering, yes. But there is a reward for all of us. Let's be faithful and let's run and let's get to the end. And the last verse there, verse 7, it says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What you see is that in all these three metaphors, Paul gives them without giving any explanation. And Paul wanted Timothy to think over what he said so that he can know how to apply it in his life. And I think that applies to us as we consider that and consider our lives and think through this and think about the soldier, think about the farmer, think about the athlete, and think about that grace that we so depend on. How are we, how are we to apply our life so that we run until the end? How, is, how does that look like in your life? Because what you have, I don't have. What I have, you don't have. How does that look like? I don't know. But the one thing is, be a good soldier. And suffer as a good soldier. Depending on God. How are you to respond in closing? Take time to think about this. It's your life. Take time to think about it. It's real. It's real. Are you standing in God's grace? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you not even thinking about the end? There's no eternity in mind, maybe. I don't know. If that is you, I'll say, no, stop. Think about eternity. Think about eternity. Think about the end. And run until that end. Be resolved to get to the end. So think about it. What will count for you when you get to the end? I remember one man, Jonathan Edwards, he writes in one of his, his, his resolutions, he says, Resolved to think when I get to the end of my life that I will not actually just regret of anything that I have lived. When I get to the end of my life, I don't want to say, I wish I had done that. I want to do everything now that I would wish I had done when I come to the point of my dying. I don't want to get there and I'm about to die and say, I wish I had done that. Do it now. Do it now. 
So when you get to that finish line, you can say, yes, I fought a good fight. I finished this race. And at the end, I kept the faith. What waits for me is the crown of righteousness. Glory for all of us. Glory for eternity of eternity without any pain and any suffering. That is what God has called us to. And that is for us. God keeps us using simple means. How are you to respond? Think about the ordinary means of grace that God uses to keep you and to grow you. You might think that God is going to come from heaven and stand there and hold you by the end and pull you and says, you're going to get to the end. He has given you simple means of grace, ordinary means of grace. What is that? Fellowship. God keeps you through fellowship. He has given you to the church. He has given the church to you. What is your relationship with the church? God uses it to keep you. Think about that. God uses the word, the Bible, to keep you. As you read it, it prunes you. As you read it, convicts you. As you read it, it grows you. As you read it, gives you more convictions, gives you more resolve. As you read it, he arms you with that sword. You're able to just fight and stand because you're in spiritual warfare. What is your relationship with the word? Prayer. You hear from God. Oh, the privilege we have to be able to speak back to God. When the going gets tough and we break down and we cannot do it and we... We cannot even utter words. We can just throw ourselves down on the floor and we all tears and we cry to our Father. What a privilege we have to cry to God in prayer. What is your relationship with prayer? Think about that. Look at that. Look at all those simple means of grace. Do something if there is anything that you need to do. But rejoice and use them well. Fellowship, pray, read the word, share it, do everything. as the ordinary means that God uses to keep you as you rely on him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us so much, oh God. And thank you that, oh Lord, you are so committed to us to keep us until the end. We thank you that we don't have to do this by ourselves. And we thank you, O oh Lord, Father, that we will get to the end. And when Christ finally appears, O oh Lord, we will be like him, be made perfect. And Lord, Father, we'll be in glory forever and ever, never again to face all the troubles that we face. Even as we look ahead, O oh Lord, help us right now, here on the side of heaven, to look to you, to depend on you, to live rejoicing and suffering with joy, looking to you, knowing that this suffering is only momentary. Knowing that, oh Lord, you have not forgotten us, but you are for us through, through it all, and you are there with us through it all. Keep us, oh Lord, we know you will do, and we know you will finally complete every one of the things you have started in our life until the end. 
and help us, O Lord, to love one another, to continue to walk together, to all ends, and to do so praising you and loving each other. And love it even, O Lord God, for just the people around us, to tell them and to warn them. Because we would want anyone who does not know you to come to taste of the goodness of the Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.